chone down your tubas, you boulevardonas. Welcome to the Blind Buy Podcast. I wasn't going to do a podcast this week. Well, I was. I've never missed a week. I haven't missed a week in the four years of making this podcast. Even though every year around Christmas I always say, maybe I'll take a week off. Maybe I'll take a week off. But it doesn't sit right. It's bad practice. I need to save one day. I need to take a week off. And that will only happen when there's an emergency. When there's when, when something urgent happens whereby I literally can't put out a podcast, then I won't. Here's why I decided to put out a podcast this week. So the reason I was thinking of not doing it is because like three days ago it was Christmas. So obviously I... I I didn't work at all over the Christmas period from like the 22nd of of December to today I did fucking nothing I ate mince pies I drank beer in the mornings because you're allowed to do that at Christmas I ate food and I filled my eyeballs full of shit from the television I switched my brain off and I just engaged in festive gluttony like a type of pop culture hippopotamus so I've no research done for this week's podcast I've zero preparation but the reason I decided to put the podcast out was it's the 29th of December and ye really need ye really need this podcast right now because the 27th of December, the 28th of December, the 29th of December and the 30th of December are that period of limbo where it's not New Year's Eve, it's not Christmas, time means nothing, you don't know which shops are open, which shops aren't open, you're not at work, the only reason you know it's Wednesday is because this podcast is out now. And I figured a lot of you would just be walking today. You can't indulge in the senses. You've indulged in the senses on Christmas Day and a little bit of St. Stephen's Day. And you're getting ready to indulge in the senses on New Year's Eve. So now we're in sensual limbo. Where all you can really do is go on walks. So I'm putting this podcast out because I figured a lot of you are going to be on a walk. And need a bit of a bit of company i'm gonna do a question answering podcast i'm gonna do a nice relaxing question answering podcast where i've done no research i've done no preparation we'll just answer some questions and see what happens i don't know if this is going to take an hour or whatever we'll see how it goes so i went on the instagram earlier on today at blind by boat club Went down to Instagram and I said, have you any questions? So I got thousands of questions because everyone's at home looking at their fucking phones. I got thousands of questions and I picked the ones that I liked. So the first one I'm going to answer is Lewis asked me, what's the most random story that you swear is true but no one believes you? Before I even answer that, I bet you Lewis, I'm going to guess that Lewis is in his mid 30s because I haven't heard the word fucking random in a long time do you remember man F- 
Fucking 2006 was peak random. Whatever the fuck was going on with 2006, I actually, I used to get pissed off about it on Bebo at the time. Just before the recession, height of the Celtic Tiger, 2005-2006, everything was random, everything. I met someone, I met someone out last night, they were so random. The fuck do you mean they were random? Oh, did you, did you see that film? It's so random. Total randomness. Lol, total randomness. And everything was random, random, random. I remember getting into my head that like... Like 2006... There was a huge economic bubble. We called it the Celtic Tiger in Ireland. There was a lot of money. And Irish people had never had money before. And it was just a very excessive time. Like, I remember there was a block of flats, this student accommodation, right, in Limerick. And the landlord who owned the block of flats used to arrive in a helicopter every week to, like, collect all the rent in a suitcase. A fucking... A man landing his helicopter in Limerick to collect the rent on this student accommodation. Nightclubs. There was nightclubs in Limerick. And... They'd just book like dead mouse on a Thursday night and fly him in on a fucking private jet. And you'd go to a nightclub in Limerick on a Thursday night and they have like fire dancers and chocolate fountains. And I spoke about this one before, but people used to drink a drink called Goldschlager, which was a cinnamon spirit that had flakes of gold in it. And people thought that if you drank it, the gold would slit your throat and alcohol would absorb into your body quicker. So 2006 was an extreme time when it came to opulence and wealth. And we didn't think it was ever going to end. Two years before the the great crash of 2008. And everyone was talking random, random, random. This person is so random. Randomness. And I always thought that... the, the, The opulence and frivolity and excesses of the culture and our lifestyles had found its way into our language to the point that now everything is fucking random. Even there was sweets called fucking randoms. I used to get upset about this. I had terrible mental illness at the time, but I used to get very upset about Roundtree's randoms because it was just... What is it? It's a bag of sweets. Why are they called randoms? Because when you open it up, there's like... There's a shoe and there's a frog... And there's a bicycle. They're just random. Pure randomness. For randomers. And it used to make me really upset. So Lewis's question. What's the most random story that you swear is true but no one believes you? I'm just going to guess that Lewis there uh, lived through the chaos of 2006. And still uses the term random. As a vestigial term. I'm surprised it hasn't been brought back ironically actually. Because people used to say lol as well. LOL. Because I remember when LOL started. This is pure old man shit now. LOL started because when you used to text each other back then. Before the fucking internet. When you used to text each other. You used to have to text in the least amount of characters possible to save money. So you'd say LOL. But LOL now is used online. Ironically. But no one's brought back random. 
So Lewis asks, what's the most random story that you swear is true but no one believes you? So this thing happened to me, right? And I, I I don't know if I've mentioned it before. It's it's one I've just stopped like telling people because it's just it's fucking mad and it's disgusting. So would this have been two thousand and six? No, this would have been maybe two thousand and nine, pure recession shit. So I was living in rented accommodation right renting a house renting like one room in a house with other people and no one had any money and this was an old house and it was fucking freezing cold so I'm living in this this bedroom in this house and the house is freezing there was no heating because no one had any money for heating you just simply were like we're not paying for oil in the tank out the back garden. Fucking forget about it. That's one bill we don't have to worry about. If you're cold, use your head. Make yourself warm. So, when you live in, in, in a place like that, when it comes to night time and you go to bed, you do what you can to keep your room warm. Usually you can't keep the, the, the room warm, so what I used to do was double socks. Right? Or do you know those big fucking winter socks? They're fantastic. So you wear your big winter socks. You have a nice big dressing gown over your clothes that you wear indoors. And then a hot water bottle inside in a pillowcase inside your dressing gown. And if you can do that, you can create localized heat. And it doesn't matter how cold the house is, you can stay warm. And then, of course, a nice big cup of tea to keep your hands warm. So this is what I was doing in this freezing cold house. Now the other thing when you're you're staying in a house that's freezing. When you get up in the middle of the night. And you need to take a piss. It creates a a dilemma. So this particular house where I was. As soon as I left my room. It was half as cold. In the fucking. Or sorry twice as cold in the hallway. And then. When I went upstairs to the bathroom, the window in the bathroom was, it wasn't smashed, but it had like a hole in it. So the bathroom was full on. It was like being outside, fucking freezing. There was no light bulb in the bathroom either. Not a light bulb. There was no light fixture. So the bathroom at night time was 100% pitch dark and utterly freezing. So if I needed to do a piss... In the middle of the night, I'm simply not going outside my room. Not happening. Because to do so would mean waking up. Like properly waking up. Now when you wake up in the middle of the night to do a piss, part of the game of doing that is the zombie piss, I like to call it. So now I'm in my 30s and I live in a house that's warm and I don't have to worry about freezing the freezing cold being a factor if I need to go for a piss in the middle of the night so now what I do in my house that's warm is I walk you figure out a way to walk to the bathroom in the dark right so you have the path kind of laid out you don't want to be woken up by any light also this is when men go for the sit down piss if you're doing a zombie piss at night time and you're trying to walk through the dark 
you must sit down and do your piss. If you do the stand-up piss, then you piss everywhere and you risk waking yourself up. So you walk to the toilet in the warmth, sit down, do your piss, get back to bed and you can drift back into sleep without disturbing yourself. But back in this gaff, that wasn't possible. It would have been too cold, I'd have left the room and I'd have woken myself up. So I had to be creative. So what I started doing back in this cold house was I'd be in bed... Now, I've got all this heat inside the bed because I'm sleeping in it and I don't really want to lose it. You have to keep that heat. I've worked on making it all night. So I had a three litre milk bottle beside my bed and I'd perfected a means of the pitch dark, I wake up, I need a piss, I lift the covers of my bed just enough but not so much that I let the heat out hang my mickey out of the bed like an airplane fueling another airplane mid-air and then piss into the three litre milk bottle there'd be no spillage it'd be perfect I'd insert myself directly into the spout of the three litre milk bottle had a nice wide mouth on it and I'd effortlessly do a piss into this three litre milk bottle no fear of overflow because it's three litres and then I put the cap back on and then go back to sleep. No heat lost, not waking myself up. And this is what I used to have to do in this freezing cold place that I was living in uh, about 10 years ago. Now the thing was, I wasn't necessarily replacing the milk bottle. The next morning I'd get up and I'd pour the piss from the milk bottle into the toilet, put the cap back on and put it back beside my bed. So I was reusing this milk bottle to piss into it over and over again for months. Now why was I doing that? I don't know. I I think I was kind of proud of it or something. Or Because the milk bottle, because it was a creative solution, number one. Because it was cheap. And because it genuinely, this milk bottle was a lifesaver. It was not only keeping me warm, but it wasn't waking me up in the middle of the night. It had become like a fucking friend. So I didn't want to, like, replace it and just get a new milk bottle. I was quite happy with this same milk bottle. And the parasocial feelings of camaraderie that I had projected on this milk bottle obviously overrided how disgusting the act actually was that I was consistently pissing into this milk bottle and not replacing it. The cap was on it. It didn't smell like piss. It was just a thing I was doing at the time. And it worked for me. Now Lewis's question was. What, what's the most. Ra- what is it? What was the most random. What's the most random story that you swear is true. But no one believes you. So this is, this is it. Because I usually lose people at this point. Because they're just like. What the fuck are you doing. Pissing into a milk bottle repeatedly. And not replacing the milk bottle at least so after a while of like just developing this narrative around this milk bottle where it just feels like a a friend or a character in my room where I'm just like no I can't throw it out I can't throw it out can't do that we've been we've been through so much together this milk bottle has helped me on so many cold nights I, I simply can't throw it out so I developed this irrational narrative around the milk bottle until one day I said Maybe at least I can try and clean it. Now this is disgusting. 
at the base of, of so each day I'm pissing into it and then throwing it into the toilet it had obviously a residue had collected around the bottom of the milk bottle from months and months of piss a calcified residue alright and I went fuck it I better rinse that out so then I was like okay what's the best thing to do here bleach bleach that's what you do bleach cleans toilets so bleach is going to clean out my calcified piss milk bottle what I should have done is thrown out the milk bottle but I wasn't doing it because I developed an irrational parasocial relationship with the milk bottle where deep in my unconscious mind I thought it was a friend so I decided I'm going to clean the milk bottle so I open it up and I go over with some bleach and some water and I begin to pour the bleach into the empty milk bottle to try and tackle the the calcified piss residue at the bottom and as I'm fucking doing it this like weird greenish yellowish smoke starts coming out the top of the milk bottle and then I start choking like absolutely cannot like couldn't catch my breath choking the most disgusting taste and smell I dropped it on the ground got out of the fucking room and was like what the fuck was that ran back in with a jumper over my face and opened the windows and what what had actually happened was so the months and months of human urine and the bottom of the milk bottle had formed like ammonia I believe it was right there's ammonia present in piss it had formed ammonia and when I put the bleach on top of the ammonia now I ended up reading this afterwards I'd accidentally created a crude World War 1 poison gas so if you look it up ammonia and, and bleach when you mix them together creates a gas called chloramine which is a deadly gas it can kill you and it will result in skin irritation, eye irritation, lung irritation. So I'd, I'd actually, I'd accidentally created a, a tiny amount of World War One poison gas from a milk bottle full of piss by trying to clean it with bleach. And nearly choked myself in my bedroom. And I remember thinking, what a way to fucking die. What a way to die. I don't think, I hadn't released Horse Outside at that time. I, the rubber bandits would have been big enough underground. 2009, it might have been 2008. I'd have done an electric picnic gig or maybe one or two English dates. Kojak. The Irish rapper today, Kojak. It would have been Kojak's level of fame. So if Kojak today accidentally died by poisoning himself with a World War One gas in a piss bottle, it would make the papers. But w- w- imagine that. Imagine that's how I died. <laughs> But that's the most random story that I just stopped telling people because it's mad. And then I would have... 2009. I wouldn't have had severe mental health issues, but I wouldn't have been great. So that explains the, the parasocial relationship with the milk bottle. I didn't... I didn't literally think the milk bottle was my friend. It was just an unchallenged assumption in my head. An irrational, unchallenged assumption. That if somebody had stepped in... If I'd used a bit of cognitive behavioural therapy... 
and said, hold on a second here. No, 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 no. The milk bottle is not your friend. I know you've, the milk bottle has helped you out on cold nights. It's just a fucking milk bottle. Get a new one. Get a new one. You, you don't owe the milk bottle anything. That was it. It's like I felt that I had owed the milk bottle room and board <laughs> in my freezing cold gaff. And then what happened? So after the chlorine gas incident, when I ran back into the room with the jumper over my face, because I was like, I don't know what this gas is, but it, it's, it's horrible. I got the milk bottle and threw it out the window. And it just, the corpse of the milk bottle lay there for years in the side alleyway of the house. And I was afraid of it and, and didn't go near it. <laughs> Actually, now that I don't think my mental health was in tip-top shape at that point in my life. Um, that's a lot of projecting onto a milk bottle right there. But there you go. There's a there's a there's a, a random story. There's a random story that I've just stopped telling people because it's it's insane. So Alexandra asks. How does it feel that the winners of this year's Turner Prize have cited you as an influence in their work? Oh yes, I wanted to chat about this. Um, it feels absolutely fucking fantastic, I'll be honest. So, the Turner Prize, which is kind of probably one of the biggest art prizes in the world for what you call contemporary art. It's a if you think of like uh, Damien Hurst with the fucking sharks cut in half floating in formaldehyde, or Tracy Emin's bed, where an artist Tracy Emin put her bed in a gallery, and the Turner Prize used to it used to be like tabloid fodder. The tabloids used to love reporting on the Turner Prize and saying, "Oh, the art world has gone mad. They have a bed in a gallery." But the Turner Prize is probably the most prestigious art award in the world. It's only for artists who make art within what you'd call Britain. And this year it was won by a collective of artists from the north of Ireland called Array Collective. And one of the pieces of art in this overall artwork was called... Colonial Pineapple I I think I don't know the exact name the piece of art was called Colonial Pineapple and the artist said in the newspaper inspired by the Blind Boy podcast on an episode I did about the dual relationship between pineapples and potatoes and the history of Ireland through the lens of a pineapple was a podcast I did so Array Collective said that this podcast helped inspire the artwork that they made that won the Turner Prize so for me that's that's phenomenal that feels fucking amazing that really and truly does feel incredible and the reason it does is I'm an artist and I spent many years in college studying art academically up to master's level and when you do that there's limited paths that you're expected to go in within the art world And usually those paths are to continue speaking about art either academically or critically 
in a way that perpetuates high art as being incredibly highbrow and inaccessible to the average person. You know when you walk into a fucking art gallery, if you're ever over in London and you wander into the Tate or something, and you see a fucking plaster cast of someone's cock inside in a wheelbarrow, and you go, what the fuck is that? You walk over to it and you look at it, and then beside the plaster cast of the cock in the wheelbarrow is a piece of paper on the wall called the Statement of Intent, and the artwork is called The Tears of Oedipus, and then the Statement of Intent says... This artwork explores the liminalities between our post-structural relationship with capitalism and our vision of ourselves as a collective body. And you're just going, I don't know what the fuck this means. I just thought it was a cock in a wheelbarrow. I guess I'm thick. I guess I'm really, really stupid. And I'm not allowed to have any opinion now on this artwork because the words that are being used to describe it are so fancy that... I must just be stupid. So instead what I'm going to do is I'm going to walk around this art gallery really seriously and really quietly because I'm terrified that someone's going to look at me and think that I'm not smart enough to get this art. I don't like that about the art world. I think it's exclusive. I think it's fucking ridiculous. It's utterly, it's, it's pointless. A lot of the time I think it exists to inflate the prices of art so that different types of rich people can compete with each other it allows very rich people to purchase taste so that they can differentiate themselves from equally rich people who want to buy a Ferrari who they look down upon it's like you might have the same amount of money as me but you're not as educated as me because I know what the cock in the wheelbarrow really means and I'm going to pay 10 million for it while you're over in Dubai doing coke off someone's taint and I don't think it helps people or it helps art. And that is is a, a path that I would be expected to follow to perpetuate that shit when you get like a master's degree in art. And instead, I went, no, fuck that. I'm going to do this podcast and I'm going to speak about art or artists or cultural critique. And I'm going to speak about subjects which are considered highfalutin or highbrow or inaccessible and I'm going to speak about them in a way that's fun and enjoyable and matter of fact to reveal to everybody no, art isn't exclusive at all art isn't for really smart people art is actually for everybody and it's a really fun and enjoyable way to think about ourselves in society using a different language and that's what I tried to do with this podcast But the risk of doing that, when you do something like that, when you speak about art, but you don't use solemnity to do so, solemnity being the insincere performance of seriousness, when you speak about art using silliness and humour and fun, you then run the risk of someone accusing you of, of lacking depth or not having decent critique or being lowbrow. So... For someone winning the fucking Turner Prize to say that this podcast influenced the work that won the Turner Prize, it just feels really nice. That's external praise that I can take to bed, if you get me. Because I'm always cautious of any external praise because if you take positive external praise on board, then the negative external critique hurts you twice as much. So I try and keep things internal. How do I feel about what I'm doing? But 
for a Ray Collective to say that about that my podcast inspired one of the pieces in that that's fucking amazing that feels absolutely wonderful and thank you so much to Array Collective for citing me and fair play to ye for winning the fucking Turner Prize holy fuck and to speak about the the artwork that Array Collective made so the Turner Prize is for artists that make art within Britain the north of Ireland is politically considered part of Britain Array Collective are based in Belfast I think they're all people from the north of Ireland it's a collective of I think like 11 people and what they made that that won the Turner Prize is they made an installation and a film they made a shebeen a shebeen is that's an Irish word it's also present in Africa it's also present in the Caribbean via the Irish diaspora but a shebeen is an illegal pub it's a pub just that just pops up and Array Collective made this shebeen that you can walk into and you can see a film that they made and all around the shebeen is it's decorated with various pieces of like protest art I haven't seen it but it's basically like a bombardment of of anti-colonialism it deconstructs the colonisation of the north of Ireland it has pieces that address LGBTQ rights in the north of Ireland abortion rights the brutality of the British army against communities in the north of Ireland the erosion of the Irish language the erosion of Irish history Irish culture the erosion of Irish mythology and it does all this using fun and silliness and crack but also because it's an installation because it's a shebeen that you can walk into it now becomes a piece of participatory art now what I mean by that is if you think of okay traditionally there's a painting on the wall you go into a gallery and there's a painting I'm the observer there's the art it's a very binary relationship where you're looking at the art and that's it with this installation you can walk inside it and all around you are these different humorous things nailed to the walls and by presenting it as the familiar fun space of a pub now you're not in a gallery anymore you're in a place where it's okay to speak to have fun to have crack and most importantly you don't have to be wrong so in order to engage with this artwork you're not just observing you're participating by the act of conversation and that's really powerful because what you're speaking about is colonialism abortion rights erosion of Irish culture all these really important things that aren't spoken about in England at all and the English critics are fucking so pissed off that this won the Turner Prize like the Guardian made shit of it the Guardian called this they called this piece of work amateurish they called it like they just said it was always a bit of fun and it's quite amateur but I don't think it has any real depth but the fact of the matter is what this work has done is it's confronted the type of of middle class art critic in England who likes to think of themselves as left leaning and open minded it's confronted them with the very real lasting present traumas on an entire region 
which is technically in Britain as a result of the brutality of colonisation. A conversation they do not want to have. So what they've had to do is say, oh, I, I didn't pay much attention. It's just some silly Irish shit. I'm not too sure. Like the Guardian's actual headline when reviewing this piece of work was if only it actually served pints. Which I don't know why, but there's an anti-Irishness in there. It's almost like saying, sure, the only time I'd go to fucking Belfast is to go to a pub and get pissed like the paddies. Why are you bringing it over here? Why are you giving me one of your stupid fucking pubs where you nail things to the roof and I can't even get pissed, you fucking mix? Do you know what I mean? They're writing it off in that way, but the reality is... This artwork is making you think about the colonisation of Ireland that's still happening and it's making you think about your uncle who was in the paratroopers and what he might have done. So let's just call it silly. Let's just call it some silly paddies having fun. And you might be thinking there, blind by you, if the artwork is getting bad reviews, why are you talking about it as if that's a good thing? Because the English critics who are refusing to engage with the artwork seriously have now become part of the artwork via performance they're unknowingly playing out the historical role that British politicians have played by not taking the north of Ireland serious politically like it reminds me of one of the fucking maddest things that happened during the period we call the troubles would be like Jerry Adams who was leader of Sinn Féin was an elected MP but the Brits brought in a law that his voice could never be heard on television so they hired a voice actor whenever Jerry Adams was on TV to say the exact words that he's saying, but a voice actor with a nardy accent had to do it instead. Like they'd dub over his voice with someone who just sounds like him to discredit the demands of Republicans as silly and absurd and not worthy of engagement. And now that's what those critics are doing. They're just becoming the voice actors that were doing Jerry Adams' voice. They are now part of the artwork. They're part of the Shabin. They're the RUC on the outside, slamming their truncheons against their palms, waiting for the excuse to shut it down. Okay, are we going to have an ocarina pause? Like I said, ladies and gentlemen, this is the, this is an off-the-cuff podcast this week. Um, I'm going to answer a couple of more questions. Here's a shaker pause. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. There was an advert in there. Algorithmically generated advert. I hope you're enjoying your walk. 
Hope you're enjoying your December walk. Thinking about New Year's around the corner, a couple of days away. Support for this podcast comes via the Patreon page, patreon.com forward slash blindboypodcast. This podcast is my full-time job. This podcast is how I earn a living. Thank you so much to everybody. Thank you so much to everybody who has fucking supported me the past year with no gigs or nothing like that. Thank you so much. And please may it continue because I adore doing this podcast. I love making this podcast so much. And it's a pleasure to make it every week. And to make what I want to make. And ye make that possible by being patrons. And allowing me to do this as my full time fucking job. So that I'm not worrying about paying my bills. I know where my money is coming from. I can plan financially. And I have my free time to do what I love doing. And to make what I want to make. So... If you enjoy this podcast, if you like it, if it's giving you any bit of fun, if you listen to it regularly, just uh, consider signing up to the Patreon page and paying me for the work that I'm doing. But if you're out of work, if you don't, ha- if you don't have money at the moment, I know a lot of people are a lot of people are messaging me going, "Fuck it, I'm been laid off because of COVID and shit like that." That's grand. You can listen for free. If you can afford it, if you can afford the price of a pint or a cup of coffee once a month. You're paying for the person who can't afford it. So it's a lovely model that's based on kindness and soundness. Everybody gets a podcast. I get to earn a living. It's fantastic. Support all independent podcasts, lads. The podcast space is being taken over by big corporate podcasts. So if there's a small independent podcast that you like that's made by a small team, like it, share it, leave reviews. Sign up to their fucking Patreons, whatever, not just my podcast, any independent podcast that you listen to and enjoy. And by doing that, keeping things listener funded, we get to make the content that you're here for in the first place. Like the Patreon also means that I'm not reliant on advertisers. No advertiser can come in to me and say, speak about this, speak about that, I change this bit. They can go fuck themselves. Don't advertise on my podcast then. So, subscribe to the Patreon. Thank you to everyone who's been doing it. And I hope I get some new Patreons in... Or patrons in 2022. 2020 fucking too, man. There's a futuristic sounding year. Christ, I'm not even going to make any predictions. Do I have any resolutions? I'm going to try and get more sleep. <laughs> That's been my resolution. Every fucking year... I never do it because I'm terrible at sleeping. My brain always wakes me up to think about something. I'm going to make an effort to meditate more. Definitely. I need to be disciplined in my daily meditation. Checking in with my emotions, checking in with my feelings, grounding myself. That's such an important tool that I have for the regulation of my emotions and my mental health and to know to understand the difference between to not allow my emotions to dictate my thoughts to dictate I don't want my emotions informing my view of the world because emotions aren't always factual you know if I'm living living life with the emotion of anxiety and everything is threat based and if then I behave as if everything is a threat I'm going to have quite an unhappy life so I want to 
meditate twice a day 15 minutes twice a day i've done it before it's just sometimes i get lazy and if i do that then i'm emotionally present i'm grounded i'm mindful and i can make decisions about myself and about other people that are informed in the present moment so that that's a new year's resolution i'm gonna start getting into yoga because i've got a fucking trapped nerve I have a trapped nerve in my fucking shoulder, lads. I don't know how I got it, but it's very unpleasant. And a trapped nerve is... It's not like an injury. It's just there's these long nerves in your body. And I have one that goes from one hand to the other hand right across my shoulders. And it's trapped somewhere. Which means when I go to the gym to lift weights, it kind of exacerbates it a bit. So I haven't been going to the gym to lift weights as much. Which is disappointing because I love that stuff for the the free head medicine so i'm doing these these movements called nerve glides they're like slow movements that floss the nerves in my body which sounds mad but it does work but yoga is a fantastic way to do that so i'm gonna start doing yoga go on to youtube and do some yoga shit to improve my flexibility and the health of my nerves what else am i gonna do I think that's about it. More mindfulness, meditation, some yoga, and better sleep if I can. If I can fucking get better sleep, I will. But sure, fuck it. Um, I might be on Twitch this Thursday. I probably will. I might even do something on New Year's Eve. We'll see how it goes. Twitch.tv forward slash the blind by podcast. You can join me on my never ending musical. My never ending video, video game musical where I write songs live the events of a digital online world as an ongoing piece of participatory art let's take another question actually do you know what i want to i want to go back to a previous point about the role of silliness and fun and crack in art and how it can be a very dangerous thing to do because whenever art is fun or silly it it tends not to get credit as being serious and this is something that always has gotten my goat I've mentioned so many times, like, with the work I did fucking over the years with the Rubber Bandits. Like, there's a lot of Rubber Bandit songs that I would have put a huge amount of effort into musically and thinking about what the song is about in the video. But because it uses humour and, and fun, it just gets called novelty music. And when something's called novelty, it's not taken seriously or engaged with critically at all. And... What used to bother me about that is there's so many artists and acts in music in particular and their work is taken dead seriously. They're seen as being so worthy of critique and analysis. And if you strip it back, some of it really isn't at all. Some of it really isn't. It's... it's there's not much going on with the lyrics the music is kind of thrown together but the band are able to perform a sense of seriousness if they use a lot of black and white photos if you see a band that has tons of black and white photos and everyone on stage looks dead serious they could be farting into a fucking McDonald's cup and someone will give it this incredibly solemn critical eye and it's always bothered me. I think it's it's 
It's such a discredit that when art uses silliness or humour that it's not taken seriously. And one thing recently that I thought was fantastic in this overall conversation is one band that are taken very seriously would be the Beatles, right? Now, I'm a huge fan of the Beatles. Yeah, I am a huge fan of the Beatles. I wouldn't listen to them loads. Now, the reason I wouldn't listen to the Beatles loads is that their music was so influential in the 60s and copied so much that it's actually quite difficult to listen to the Beatles because you can't hear how original they are because other bands copied them so much. But I enjoy the Beatles. And recently there was this documentary called Get Back. It's on Disney, I think. And it's an eight-hour-long documentary about the Beatles. It's, it's a documentary made for the podcast generation. It's just eight hours of the Beatles talking in a studio. Now, that sounds shit, but it's not. It's fucking amazing. And you don't even have to like the Beatles to enjoy it. It was directed by Peter Jackson who made Lord of the Rings it's fucking incredible I loved it but what I adored about this documentary is the Beatles are seen as this serious band very important artists so much depth to their work but when you watch the Beatles recording their album over the course of 8 hours there's no seriousness at all they're non-stop when they're not fighting, when they're not fighting and they're actually creating, they're having crack. They're writing these really silly, foolish songs and most of the time they're just trying to make each other laugh. Because the creative process has to involve play and fun and enjoyment and even art that appears to be dead serious is usually a, a, the result of playfulness and fun. And I think that documentary does a great job at disappointing a lot of really kind of stuck-up people who would view the Beatles as this really serious intellectual band with huge amount of depth behind what they do. And then you see their process and you go, no, it's just a bunch of friends trying to make each other fucking laugh and trying to come up with silly lyrics that fit in the moment to make each other giggle and to do silly voices and all this stuff and then at the end they refine it into something that's a bit more professional actually this leads on to a question I wanted to answer so Lauren asked can you speak about your involvement with the new Devin Townsend album so there's this there's an artist called Devin Townsend who is someone I really admire Devin Townsend he's a legend He's credited with inventing a genre called speed metal. So Devin Townsend is a heavy metal artist. He's been going since the 90s. Started off with a band called um, Strapping Young Lad. Very heavy, fast metal music that's quite theatrical. And Devin, he's Canadian. He released an album like a month ago. Which was called, is it called Jigsaw Puzzle? The Puzzle is the name of the album right and I'm actually on it and loads of people were going loads of heavy metal fans were listening to Devin Townsend's new album going why the fuck is Blind Boy on this on Devin Townsend's new album and the reason is Devin 
Devin became a fan of the Rubber Bandits years ago and I was always a fan of Strapping Young Lad and we kind of got chatting and we both love like Frank Zappa and the reason Devin and I both love Frank Zappa is he's a musician who had no problem using humour and fun and comedy in his music while still being quite serious about the quality of the music and the integrity of the art that he was making so I also I interviewed Devin on this podcast about three years ago when I was over in Vancouver but it didn't go down properly it was the start of me learning how to record outdoors and it didn't go down but I will I will chat to Devin again the next time I'm in Canada so Devin got on to me last year and said I'm making this new album it's quite experimental would you be interested in like making a track with me on it and he sent me over a bunch of stems for tracks and stuff unfortunately my head was up my arse it was right in the middle of lockdown my mental health wasn't great I was stretched creatively I couldn't do any more work and I didn't I wasn't able to complete the project with Devin but instead what he did is he took excerpts of this podcast and put it over one of the tracks on this new album The Puzzle so that's why I'm on Devin Townsend's new album and it's a wonderful honour because he's a fucking legend and who else is on the fucking album Steve Vai I'm on an album with Steve Vai fucking hell so that's why I'm on Devin Townsend's new album but Devin is someone I I greatly admire because he uses huge amounts of humour in his work he's a legend of of metal he uses huge amounts of humour absurdity silliness all this in his work and I have huge respect for artists that do that because it's a dangerous thing to do it's a very risky and dangerous thing to do if your work is silly for some reason people don't take it seriously and why does that matter because I'm always saying that external praise doesn't matter the only reason that gets my goat is because it's it's literally unfair it's unfair and any critic who would write off a piece of work as novelty or not worthy of critique just because it uses humour it means that that critic fundamentally doesn't really understand art or in the case of music they don't really understand music they're listening to a band's haircut rather than listening to the actual music so when you have that as a dominant culture it can feel like banging your head off a wall so it makes you not want to make art at all that's why I'm always upset by that I'm going to take one more question this wasn't even going to be a podcast at all this was just going to be a gentle accompaniment to a run or a walk Um, Sean asks what mental hurdles have you had to experience in order to better yourself it's hard to gain confidence to go for a run because you don't want to feel like that twat that just started running now that's a common one there when it comes to let's just stick with exercise I know quite a lot of people who would love to better them, better themselves we'll say by going to the gym I'd love to go to the fucking gym and get involved in exercise but I'm really self conscious that people will stare at me or I look like I don't know what I'm doing similarly with running like I've been running now for 6 or 7 years 
I run a couple of times a week. My Achilles heel is, is fully healed, by the way. It was giving me trouble for most of last year, but it's fully healed now, so I'm back running. And one thing I used to know, one thing I noticed over the past couple of years when I'm running, every so often, like once every three months, I'd be running along the road. And then it's always a man. Some man would be like in a car with his friends. And as I'm just minding my business and running, listening to my headphones, a man will, will stick himself out of the window of his car and start clapping at me like I'm in a marathon and I just get on up my run and I'm like why, why is there a grown man like clapping at me just because I'm running like why is he making fun of me and then I realise he thinks I'm showing off in his mind I couldn't possibly be out running because it's enjoyable I'm out there on the road showing off looking for attention and Sean when when you asked that question and you said it's hard to gain confidence to go for a run because you don't want to feel like that twat that just started running what I would ask you to do there is is to analyse the part of yourself and to take responsibility of that part of yourself that's a little bit like that man in the car who's clapping at me when I'm running past because I remember I used to think like that too I used to see people out running in all their running gear and because I wasn't running and the concept of running sounded terrible I used to think look at him showing off in his high-vis jacket and his tight pants no one's looking at you cop on to yourself and I had no empathy whatsoever that maybe the person's running because they find it enjoyable so if you Sean w- want to get to a point so you're scared of if I go for a run I'm going to look like that twat that just started running they're your own words you have to remove the part of yourself that thinks about that twat that just started running and you have to confront your assumptions about who they are and what they're doing because if you're looking down on people or looking up at people, that it's it's hard then to have a decent sense of self-esteem. B- basically, b- because you are thinking about that twat that just started running, or when you look at someone who's running and you yourself are, are looking at them, you're making the assumption that everyone else will then look at you when you start running. And the reality is, most people don't give a fuck. Most people really, really don't give a shit if someone is out on the road running. They don't give a fuck. They're not looking at you. Once every four months, a man will clap at you from a car. That's it. Now, I'm speaking, of course, from the point of view of being a man and the privilege that goes with it. Um, I don't know what the lived experience is for a woman who's out running, which I can imagine, like, with anything that a woman has to do is going to be a lot more difficult so as a man who's out running the worst I have to deal with is some lad clapping at me once every four months but Sean the next time you see someone out running and you feel contempt for this person which means you're judging them or you're cringing on their behalf try and have compassion for that person out running try and have compassion for them and say to yourself 
they're just doing this for themselves and me looking at them that's my shit and I'm gonna need to just accept that they're out running and ignore them and when you do that then you'll be able to go out and start running and then the obvious one as well just go out and fucking do it go out then and be that twat that just started running embrace the anxiety of your own judgement someone who thinks like you might see you and think look at that twat out running he just started what a fucking prick embrace that and confront that and live through the fear and terror of that experience and once you do it the fear will get less and less and before I know it you're running and get yourself a couch to 5k app and one piece of advice as well which is good if you're a beginner runner or you're a beginner going to the gym then wear the clothing of someone who isn't the beginner that's a simple one like when you say that twat who just started running immediately the vision that comes into my head is it's usually someone running in a pair of tracksuit pants that are a little bit too big or the odd time someone running in a pair of jeans very rare very rare but the person who's running in a tracksuit pants that's a little bit too big and a pair of runners that you know aren't really for running they're what they wear around the house so start to dress like a person who's not a beginner runner get a set of runners that you like uh, get a set set of leggings or a t-shirt or whatever and look like someone who knows what they're doing and that will help with your confidence similarly if you want to go to the gym just dress like the person who's a little bit more experienced and that will put you under pressure as well to commit to what you're doing but with anything a simple rule for self-esteem if you're very critical of other people and contemptuous of other people then you're going to be terrified that that same energy will be turned on you I mean it's it's like people online who are like serial begrudgers They're, you'll find people online who are very very critical of people's music or people's sporting efforts people who are continually cutting people down online you rarely find that these people try to pursue any of their own dreams because if you're that critical of other people that's how critical you are on yourself when you even begin to attempt it and that's why you rarely find fucking extreme begrudgers doing anything worthwhile with their talents you just rarely see it the begrudgery always turns inwards on themselves right one more Carrie asks why is our culture so, why is our culture so shit at honoring grief and how can we build the positive structure of making it a part of life Carrie I believe is from England the English have a weird English funerals are quite different to Ireland it's very sanitized there's a number of, when a person dies they almost wait like a week before the funeral occurs I don't know why this is but I think it's it's the the English thing about expressing emotions so it's given the family a week to hide their emotions so that when the church funeral part happens they don't have to have the public shame of tears so they can prepare for it for a longer amount of time also in England 
you don't have the tradition of, of viewing dead bodies. In Ireland, I think we do have a healthy tradition around grief and death. We have in Ireland what we call the wake. Now, wakes, a proper rural wake. Now, I don't know if this shit happens anymore, but traditionally, a real proper rural wake, the dead person is like brought to the house of the family and stays there overnight in the fucking living room. And sometimes, with a real fucking rural Irish wake, people literally get drunk around the corpse and have been known to pick the corpse up and put alcohol into the corpse's mouth. Now, I don't think this shit happens anymore, but it used to happen in like the 1800s. So now you've got someone who's dead in the family house and people are drinking with the corpse and giving the corpse drink. I think this happened in Irish culture as a result of uh, cellars. Now, I heard this somewhere. It's unconfirmed. But in Irish villages, the only place that had a space cold enough to hold a corpse was the cellar of the local pub. So dead bodies used to be held in the pub cellar. And because there was alcohol present, people would just get drunk around corpses. And that's the genesis of the Irish wake and how drink is involved with it. Now, people don't really get drunk with corpses anymore in Ireland. But what we do have is quite a lot of funerals. You go and view the dead body of the person. You view the person who you loved, the bereaved person. You witness their dead body. Not a lot of people like to do it. It can be frightening. But you're most definitely confronted with the certainty of that person's death. I was talking to my buddy recently in Spain. And he came back from Spain with his Spanish wife to Limerick. And they went to a funeral over the summer. And he never told his Spanish wife about our relationship with corpses. So she rocked on up to the fucking the viewing thinking it was a regular fucking funeral and now she's in a room with a dead body and she couldn't handle it because in Spain the fucking coffin in in Spanish funerals especially around Andalusia the coffin is like in a separate room behind glass I'm guessing because the whole traditionally this area is so hot and there might be rapid decomposition or smells but in England I know that you don't get to see the dead body there's a huge amount of time between. So maybe the English should start doing that. Start drinking with corpses. Start at least witnessing the physical dead body of the person that's bereaved. That might be a, a healthier way to confront the reality and certainty of what's just happened. Even though it's painful. But life is painful. Life is suffering. Death is inevitable. Dog bless you all. How long was that? That was a big rambling podcast, lads, all right? Forgive me. You know the crack this week. I wasn't going to do one. Let poor old blind boy have a week off from hot take research and do an old off-the-cuff podcast. And next week, hopefully, I'll be back with something that I've put a bit of thought and research into. I don't have a song for you this week, all right? I don't have a song for you this week. I will have a song next week. Bye-bye. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. 
It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. <laughs> 